Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast, exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. Greetings, friends. This is Will Nicholas, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And today we're going to be looking at the episode called Distant Voices, which is the 18th episode in season three. And I'll give you the synopsis as we usually do right now. Quark introduces Altavar, a Lethian, to Dr. Bashir. This Lethian wants to buy biomimetic gel. It's a restricted substance, and Bashir rebuffs the request. But soon he finds the Lethian breaking into the infirmary. Altavar attacks Bashir with a telepathic weapon and the doctor passes out. When he awakens, the lights are malfunctioning and no one answers their communicator. And the entire station seems to be deserted in a state of disarray. Julian catches a glimpse of himself and notices that he has grey hair and he seems to be rapidly ageing. The sounds of whispers and noises are coming from the bar and Julian goes there to find Quark who is afraid and trying to hide. Quark mentions that someone is trying to kill him and then runs for his life. The questions are, who is going to kill him? Why does Dr. Bashir appear to be ageing rapidly? And why are so few people still on Deep, Sp Deep Space Nine and acting so abnormally? This is a fascinating episode that uh, allows us to talk about a whole range of themes, such as uh, uh, the way that our personalities are, are made up inside our own minds, um, the the experience of aging, and what it means uh, to, um, to to seek answers within ourselves. And to help me uh, to explore this, uh, I've got my my mother as a guest today, uh, Jan Nicholas, uh, who is joining me all the way from the central coast of New South Wales. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mum. Hi, how are you doing? Good, good. Thank you for being on the podcast today and uh, and uh, letting us hook you up to all this technology to be able to do it as a remote recording. As I usually do for my podcast, um, I'm going to ask you a couple of icebreaker questions to get started. So when did you first start watching Star Trek? I watched the original Star Trek on TV. Um, I think I was in my early 20s. Uh, and then it went off, and uh, I actually missed it a lot. I liked the uh, the beaming and the whole thing about it. Um, and then uh, there was um, the movie came out when you were about seven or eight, yep. and uh, I took you to see it. And that was a boring movie, mind the way, by the way. But the um, follow-up, The Wrath of Khan, was a much better movie. Um, and then they started watching Next Gen and they made Deep Space Nine, which I have to say is my favourite Star Trek series, although it wasn't the most popular. Um, I really liked it because it's different from the other Star Treks. Um, instead of them being in a vessel going out to the galaxy, this is a point in space to which they came. Yeah, and yep. 
made it very different and I always felt it was the most spiritual Star Trek. Definitely, and that's why we've chosen Deep Space Nine for the podcast Deep Faith Nine and, um, and been able to explore a lot of those issues. Um, do you have a favourite character in Deep Space Nine? Um, I guess I looked at Deep Space Nine more in the, at, uh, at the terms of relationships because it was the same people. Um, but I suppose Julian is my favourite character. He was right through the whole thing. And um, he, he did change quite a bit during that time as we learnt more about him. Yeah, we're in the midst of that change at the moment in season three. He starts off as a reasonably shallow character who's very absorbed with himself and um, and um, is looking for shallow relationships. But now we're starting to see the deepening of his relationships with characters like Garrick and Miles O'Brien. Um, and you're right, I think uh, it's, it's a hard... Uh, thing to actually say, oh, which character do I like? Sometimes I find when I'm talking about the characters in Deep Space Nine, I'm talking about their various relationships. So, yes, and, yeah. and the, the relationship between Julian and Garrick always fascinated me because there was actually no reason for it. Happy birthday. I know it's uh, a few days off, but I wanted to give you your present early. It's a Cardassian Holosuite program. An adaptation of one of Shogoth's Enigma tales. Is it? I see. Well, you sound disappointed. I thought you enjoyed uh, mystery novels. I do. Human mystery novels. The trouble with Cardassian Enigma tales is that they all end the same way. All the suspects are always guilty. Yes, but the challenge is determining exactly who is guilty of what. Um, they were very dissimilar people. Um, yes. But I honestly felt they were both hiding things. And uh, so therefore, you wanted to watch the episodes that they were in because you were trying to find out what it was that they were hiding, which you kind of did towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And there's always this general sense with Dr. Bashir um, that he was that he was hiding that uh, an insecurity or a sense of, of, of who he was. But we do find out and, and we don't do we don't worry about spoilers in the podcast for an episode of Star Trek that was made in 1994. Um, so uh, we can talk about that, that uh, Dr. Bashir is actually a genetically enhanced human being and he's lived his entire life with that secret. That Which totally explains why you always felt as if he was holding back. Yeah, he, he made made a stupid mistake in his final exams, so he wouldn't get a perfect score. And that's just one of the things that you you, you noticed, and you think there's more to this guy <laughs> than he's letting on. And it's interesting that they hint at that in this episode. The Lethian yes. has that conversation, or the sorry, the the mental construct of the Lethian in Bashir's mind. Yeah. Um, he talks about about his tennis and um, his his holding himself back. And what's interesting is reading the commentaries around um, Deep Space Nine. They hadn't yet decided that he was going to be a genetically enhanced human being no, in the writing. No. But but they left this open, this this mystery, this enigma that actually um, that that allows us to actually kind of go, okay, why why did he give up tennis? Why would he yeah. make such a simple mistake? Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there was sort of no reason for it, but um, you feel as if he's not letting you in, not yep. letting anybody in, um, 
I suppose the English accent sort of explained that to a certain extent, but when you find out that he was genetically enhanced and didn't want anybody to know, you think, that explains everything. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Yep. And he does play, uh, I mean, he, he's... Um, uh, uh, when when they bring his family in later on, you get this 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 idea that he's part of this uh, colonial Pakistan heritage that that yeah. there is an aristocracy there and a caste system, and he's come out of a place of privilege uh, yeah. to be where he is. Um, yeah, um, I, I love that relationship between him and Garrick as well. But there's also the relationship between Doctor Bashir and uh, Miles O'Brien. Once again, two British characters coming from different parts of the British class system. And again, you think, why are these two friends? Yep. You know, um, uh, O'Brien's not a an officer. Nope. Uh, you know, he's the chief um, fixer-upper, I suppose. But they had a lot of things in common. Uh, and the friendship between them was very deep. It got deeper and deeper. Whereas with Garrick... Uh, although you got to understand him more, you never felt as if he was telling you everything. Yep, yep. And I think that uh, speaks to friendship. Some of the greatest friendships that we have in life might come from people who are very like us, but, but the ones that have significant depth from my experience are the ones where I've made friends with people who are culturally, um, uh, physically, um, generationally uh, completely different, um, that the diversity in relationships can really make them... Uh, stronger than than a sense of unity in relationships. I felt this time watching that episode that I related to the fact of his failing physicality, the yep. grey hair and the fact that he couldn't get up and it probably has to do with the fact that I've had to come to terms with being disabled um, and not being able to do stuff, you yep. know, and how I've had to ask for help <laughs> and uh, things that I used to do and telling my mind that I can no longer do that. Yes, yeah, Because yeah. in my mind, I think, yes, I can. And in, in actual fact, I have to remind myself sometimes that I can no longer do that. Yep. Sometimes you have to sit down and figure out a new way to do things. Yeah, yep. Um, and uh, break it down into steps, which I suppose was, uh, what's the word? Lucky's not the right word for me that, I worked with disabled children when I was younger and I had to back things down into steps to, in order to get them to do things that they didn't believe they could do. Yeah. Um, so then I found I had to turn around and do that on myself, which is a bit strange. <laughs> but I, uh, it fascinated me how much more I related to that. I, I sort of didn't really take that in before. Yeah, well, and that that's um, a, a really significant part of, of looking at Deep Faith Nine. So um, going back uh, to tell some of your story, um, a, a, a little, well, actually a, quite a few years ago now, um, we're looking back almost over a decade, um, you, um, you had a, a significant uh, problem, um, uh, illness problem with uh, peripheral neuropathy. Um, and there was a real, a real, I guess, bleak future, a bit like Dr. Bashir's future, that, that unless something... Um, changed or, or was arrested in, in that happening, that, that uh, you, you would die. We worked out yesterday that it's been 16 years yep. since that happened to me. When I came out of hospital, I couldn't walk, yep. which was very... <laughs> I had a wheelchair, which was uh, really 
disheartening to me, but I, I decided that with physiotherapy and rehab, I could learn to walk and I learned to walk with a walking stick. But now I can't do that so much anymore. I've had to accept the fact that I have to use a walking frame or a wheelchair um, because I can't risk falling over anymore. Yes. I hate to think what the bottom of my spine looks like. <laughs> but, there, uh, and there is that really confronting scene, I think, where Dr. Bashir does fall over. Um, yes. And he's on the ground and he, yep. he can't move. And, and, and Garrick's, the, the image of Garrick in his mind is almost making fun of him a little bit, mocking him as he's lying yep. there. But he's broken his hip and... and 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 so there is this kind of sense of helplessness that comes when our mobility is impacted. Yes, yes. And uh, like for him, it was going to end. For me, it's never going to end. Yep. <laughs> but uh, you've got to fight. You, yep. You've got to you've got to think about your situation as it is, and say, "This is where I want to be. Can I get there? How can I get there?" Sort yep. of thing. So, like according to the neurologist that I saw, I shouldn't still be alive. Yep. But um, I wasn't prepared to accept that. But then I'm lucky I've got a carer um, that probably I have to be a bit careful of because he probably would want to do too much for me. And sometimes yep. I have to fight him as well as my body. But, uh, you know, you can't just give up on those things. No, that's right. That's right. And, and I guess um, one of the things this episode really illustrates um, very clearly is, is how much... Um, when we're when we're sick, I mean, it's really obvious often that that what we're facing is a physical injury, that there are physical limitations, but there's a real mental battle that's actually yep. taking place as well, and we we get to see, um, a, a, I guess, a, a parable or, or or a metaphor of that in this episode, where Dr. Bashir um, is actually using the cast um, and the space station as the space for him to actually conduct his mental battle to so every now and then we look in we see images of of the real Bashir on the on the medical bed or we hear the the words of the people around him which are the distant him. voices yeah that's right yeah um but but the real battle that's really taking place for him is this mental battle that says um i need to fight rather than give up um i can I can find a new pathway. I can create a new way of doing things. Um, tell us a little bit about that mental battle for you. Uh, well, um, first you've got to, like if you can't see it, you can't be it. Um, if you can't see yourself doing those things, then you um, will not achieve that. But you've got to think about, like you've got to be able to see it in your mind and um, then move towards what you want what you want to be what you want to do and for me I've, I've never got back everything but I as I said I'm still here so that's really important the the other voices that are in this episode uh, are the voices of his different different aspects of himself and during this time of crisis where he's physically been affected by the lethian's weapon um, he has these the, the, the different aspects of himself kind of split up and are almost at war with each other. He, he, he loses a sense of mental unity. And I made some notes here. Odo takes on the characteristic of, of his blame, um, of his paranoia. Odo is through this episode constantly looking for ways to be able to say, oh, this is why this is happening. And if this didn't happen, then this, that wouldn't happen. Yeah, I never found that helpful. Yeah, As a matter yeah. of fact, I kind of had to give up blame. It's more a matter of analysis and um, 
thinking things through, I suppose. And just like that, um, Dr Bashir had to sort of, you know, beat back or, or put into their place these mental voices that were actually speaking out for him. Um, so, yeah, blame, is, blame was unhelpful in this scenario, just as you've said. Um, Kira um, seems to uh, it, it be his, uh, his aggression, but also his irritation. She seems to be being irritated at everything as part of an aspect of his personality. And sometimes irritation can be overwhelming in our thought processes. Yeah, as an early childhood educator, we were told that children are invested around a 75% frustration level. Yep. Y- you have to kind of make it not too hard that it daunts them, but you have to make it hard enough to get a struggle. Life is struggle. If you've got nothing to struggle with, you won't succeed. And that occurred to me a lot in the original stages of my disability. Um, the 75% frustration level. And there were people around me who didn't understand that. And they'd offer you a kind of sympathy that was actually debilitating. You've got to be really careful of that. And that leads into what you were saying was that, you know, it's, it's great to have um, a carer uh, and my dad um, is your primary carer. Um, but, but if the carer does everything for you... Yep, then, I said to um, him, if you expect right. me to sit in that chair and you do everything for me, I will die. And it was a shock for him, and I think he had to back off then. So Kira's voice in this really, really is that voice to say, no, yep. I need to be able to push against. I need to be able yep. to, to, to stand up and, and move in that direction. Yeah. Yep, yep. So then we've got Dax. Dax, um, is there a sense of responsibility and confidence? Um, it's also described in this episode as the hothead. Uh, and I, I, I guess one of the things that does get um, um, taken away from us or that we have to try and work to preserve or find a, 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 re, a new relationship with is our confidence when we, when we find ourselves with an illness um, or, yeah. or, or a crisis. Actually, Dax is one of my favourite characters because um, she wouldn't accept other people's limitations of her. Yep. She wanted to know for herself. She wanted to try. She wanted to do. And uh, I, I cried when she died. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, that's not right. But then I realised that the, character, the, the actor wanted to leave the show. Yep. Um, because she went into another show. I believe her husband was one of the producers or directors or something like that on the show and yep. it was ended up causing trouble in the marriage and she decided to leave that's what i read somewhere yeah yep yeah, yeah. it was a show with ted danson i think i'm just trying to remember what yes it was, it was. Called. i think it was named after he was, his character he was a doctor of some kind and she yep. ran the cafe yeah that's then right he went to go to get his coffee yeah yeah, so uh, um, uh, the the Dax character certainly um, is one about confidence. Um, the O'Brien character um, represents um, the cowardice uh, and doubts, um, those concerns, and so 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 that that also can be a really strong voice in in these times. Yeah, um, Miles O'Brien to me was a person who had. I, su- I suppose you'd call it like imposter syndrome. He yep. was—he—he he felt he was constantly out of his depth when he wasn't. Yep. Um, and they expected an awful lot of him, and that made him feel as if he couldn't do a lot, but he could. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I guess there were some class issues with that in relation yes. to Miles O'Brien, um, and we see that a little bit with. And with him that, not with being that an British, officer. Yeah. That's right. 
Um, and in this particular episode, that's accentuated as he becomes part of, of uh, Julian Bashir's psyche and consciousness and represents all of that kind of sense of imposter, that, that sense of doubts, that those, those worries yeah. about what things might happen. Actually, doubt is a reasonably important aspect of our lives. Mm. Um, I find that sympathy is a lot more debilitating than doubt. If yep. people doubt you can do something, you think, well, okay, I'm going to do it. Yep. yep. You know, I'm going to try. Sympathy is very different to empathy. A lot of people get those yep. two confused. Yeah, very much so. Empathy is actually understanding um, yep. where you're at. I, I haven't found that a lot of people have empathised with me at all. But then I, I say to myself, well, if they haven't been in your position, not many people have. That's true. It's hard to... Uh, it, it's, I think sympathy is what empathy becomes without experience sometimes. There's a yes. sense in which um, we can't quite make the, the place to stand with someone um, if, we, if we've never been there. Yeah. Um, and we have to be careful then, then that, that, that our, our, our sympathy doesn't become a sense of pity. Uh, That's or right. A sense of um, yeah. Yep. I used to say, well, to myself, um, no pity parties here. I don't want one. Yep. You know, and I, I, I avoided saying that to people because I'm sure they'd find it very insulting. But uh, because they are trying to empathise, but they just can't. So I've just yep. left it at that. And certainly, we see that kind of sentiment coming from Dr. Bashir in the final stages, where he's actually trying to motivate himself to find a solution and desperately looking for a way to get back uh, into the real world. Yeah, but see, he made the mistake of thinking that Ops was his brain centre. Yes. Whereas actually, the medical centre was his brain centre because that's where he did most of his thinking and logic and that sort of thing. The mistake I made was trying to repair the station from Ops. It may be the nerve center of the real world, but this is the center of my world. How important was finding the center of, of your world in terms of actually your own recovery? Um... I guess um, because I grew up in a Christian family, we were told to put others first all the time. But when that happened, I felt... I had to put myself first mm -hmm. um, and I, I had to feel selfish. I felt very selfish sometimes, but I had to deal with that and say, well, that's what I need to be right now. Yep. And I have to, um, I felt uh, very much like um, I was being very selfish by putting myself first and saying I have to do this and I have to not worry about what your problems are right now because I have to do this and I felt that's the, that's the phrase I was thinking at the time I felt like a demanding child but I wasn't but I felt like a demanding child because I'd always thought that's what a demanding child was Yep. And, and in, in a lot of ways, Dr. Bashir looks a bit like that in this episode. He, he, he's, as he gets older and frailer, he, his yeah. demeanour does become a bit more childish and a yeah. bit more... Um, it, 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 well, more childlike to, than childish. Childlike, yeah. yeah. And, and it, but he does kind of throw little tantrums and actually yeah. uh, uh, demand that people do things. Uh, and he, he, 
he sounds unreasonable at po- at points. Yes. When in fact his reasons for doing what he's doing are, as you say, yeah. he needed to find he needed to recenter himself so that he could actually um, be able to work out how to solve his immediate problems. Yeah. Um, and then think about the larger problems later, later on. Later on, yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So working through the list here, we've got quark um, in this one represents those irrational fears, that fight or flight response that, um, and later on we see a more confident version of quark in the bar, but then still about risk, risk and reward. Um, And so there's some really interesting interplays there in that psyche. Yeah, I think quark was um, not the best person in the world, Um, Mm. but... I always found it really hard to dislike him yep. <laughs> because to, to a large extent you, you, could, um, you could see why he was doing what he was doing and yep. you think, well, that's his way of doing it, you know. And he's uh, always consistent so you could rely yeah, on yeah. him to be unreliable. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Yes, yes, exactly. That's right. And so the, the other one then is Cisco um, and Cisco only has a small role in this one but he, he represents... Um, uh, the professionalism, um, the skills that um, Bashir has. And at one stage he's marvelling at Cisco going, oh, that's exactly how I would prescribe this or how I would deal with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so um, he has to um, work through that. And, and you mentioned before that, that some of your professionalism, your, your education and, 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 um, and vocation from earlier in life actually helped you to come to terms with and understand um, some of the some of the tools and resources and paths you might need to be able to find your way forward. Yeah, you kind of click into a section of your brain that you thought you'd forgotten. And yep. it, uh, at that particular time, you think, that's how that works, you know. Um, so then you think, how does that relate to me where I am right now? Yep. Uh, and it helps you move forward. Yeah, and, and yeah, you can use those tools to kind of um, to, to, to pull yourself forward um, even when, you know, they may not be necessarily have been used in that way. I mean, in your case, you worked with, with children with disabilities, um, but you're actually able to reapply and reframe those tools and actually work with, with, with the process of ageing uh, and, and working with your own disability in, in an ageing context. Yeah, a lot of those kids were what, what they call pre-verbal. They couldn't actually talk or they only had very limited language. Um, and I found that I had uh, a lot of difficulty explaining myself. So I sort yep. of related that to the pre-verbal. And I thought, well, people don't understand and they don't. And yep. just let it go at that. And what's fascinating in this episode is that... that, that What's happened to Dr. Bashir is inexplicable. We see that scene where the lethian grabs him on the side of the face and there's an electric discharge and he collapses onto the ground. Yep. So our next scene then is actually all this kind of fabricated fantasy life of the the aspects of his brain interacting with each other um, as he tries to solve the problem. And he's got this time limit on it. His limiting time is that he's, yeah, he's, he's getting very older quickly ageing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, so so he's, uh, he's, he's working against time. The final character they use in this one is Garrick, um, Garrick himself. And he, he seems to be Bashir's main companion through solving this mystery. Um, and here's a bit of a mystery and an, an enigma uh, in, in, inside this. And and at the end, Bashir conf- confronts him and, 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 and says to him, well, 
I'm trying to work out why you're the only one that hasn't been destroyed by the by the attack. Um, all the other elements of his personality, all of his tools, are slowly stripped away from him, and all that's left is Garrick. And Garrick um, um, uh, then transforms into the Lethian, and he comes face to face with his illness. He has to confront his illness yep. face to face with all the rest of him stripped away, utterly vulnerable. Um, just him and the illness he's facing. Um, do you want to share a little bit about how, how that has been for you? Well, at times when I've had to accept my limitations, yep. um, that's it's me and my illness and nobody else. <laughs> but, like, to some extent, like going back to Cisco, um, to me he represents the professionals in my life, the physiotherapists, yep. the rehab people, and the... To some extent, the doctors. Um, but um, with Garrick, in in his own way, Garrick is saying, "Come on, you can do this." Yep. Um, and then he, uh, Julian, realised that the real enemy is himself, you know, yes. and this this person, and the the real fight is between them, uh, the two of them. Yes. What's interesting too is that as he comes to face to face with his illness, there is a sense in which the survival or future of the illness itself is dependent on the survival of the person who has it. That if the person, so if Julian Bashir ends and stops being, and yeah. the illness also stops being at the same time. And so there's almost a, a symbiotic relationship between patient and illness that actually, um, that, that, that whilst you might might dislike or contest your illness, there's also um, the illness becomes life's companion as you're traveling forward together. Yes, there's a sort of a, like you have to fight against it, but at certain stages you can't. Yep. You have to say that's the way it is. Yes. I'm a great believer in that's the way it is um, because uh, a lot of people don't see things the way they actually are. Yep. And I, I've, I've noticed that people who don't see themselves accurately um, don't go down the right path. Yep. They learn to love the illness, uh, that, you know, that there's a sense in which, I mean, it, it sounds like a weird thing yes. to say, but, no. but, 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 but learning to accommodate, um, to, to accept, to recognise that the illness is actually part of who I am now is actually yeah. a, a, a really confronting revelation. And at every stage, there's a redoing of that. Yep. Um, who am I now? Yep. And can I do, like, if I go this way, will this happen? Will I go that way? Well, that would happen. And I found that that can be very, very debilitating. One of the things that, that occurs to me as I'm looking at this, and, and you said it before, is that for Bashir, we were aware this was a 45-minute episode, that at some point they would find the solution and everything would return back to normal again. Yes. And for many illnesses that in happens, life, that's yep. the case. You've just the- experienced that yourself. But for ageing, yeah, yeah, that's right. I've had that experience where I've gone to professionals, they've given me a medication. And you and, get and better. Things get better. But for ageing uh, and for the illnesses relating to ageing, um, that's not the case. No. Um, that, 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 that it will actually be, as you say, a, a constant resetting of the limitations um, and really the only, the only escape from ageing is death. Yes. Yep, and we all get there in the end. In the end. <laughs> yeah, yep. there's nothing you can do about that. But um, in like there's like they say death, death and taxes, 
But yes. I, always, I also add change to that. Change is inevitable. Yeah, change is inevitable. You can, actually, if you want to keep things the same, you have to actually work very hard to keep them the same. Keep them the same to yeah. maintain the balance. Yeah. So, so for, as a Christian, from a Christian perspective, um, when we sing words in hymns like death has lost its sting, um, when we actually come through the Easter period and we actually say, oh, well, Jesus has conquered death, um, and, and we think about ourselves as a resurrection people, um, how does that... How does that uh, unpack itself in the context of, of ageing and debilitating ageing? Um, I'm not afraid of dying. I remember having this conversation with my mother. Uh, she was probably around my age. She used to say to me, I'm not afraid of dying. It's how I'm going to get there that bothers me. And uh, that was a problem for her. Um, I I, I heard about somebody who went down to the letterbox and just dropped dead and I'm thinking everybody's all upset about it and I'm thinking way to go <laughs> just just get it over with but like I'm not ready to do that I still got things to do and the Klingons they like to die with the battleth in their hand um, yeah. whereas the Cardassians they venerate old age and say I you know I want to I want to uh, die in the end I, I also remember um, you know, um, various conversations about death in, in the Game of Thrones stories where yes. they're actually talking about how, how some want to die uh, in battle and some want to die reading a book. And, and so we, we actually, we, we do have these, these narratives that actually say, oh, this is how I'd like to do it. But the reality is, um, it, um, you know, it's, 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 it's not often something we, we do get to decide. No, we certainly don't. Um, yeah. I know many people in my life have died and I'm thinking that's not the way they'd want to go. I yep. mean, your grandmother, for instance, that's yep. not the way she would want to go. Yeah. Um, yep. And you, I, don't, I don't know how I'd want to go. I just want to see how the story ends, I guess. How the story ends. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then I know that's not the end of the story. Yep. And so regardless of where we're up to, all of these distant voices that exist within our own self, some of those ones that are really close to us, they actually continually inform us and, and provoke us to ask questions about who we are. Um, and, and who we are at one stage in our life is not necessarily who we're going to be in another stage of our life. Yeah, because I can remember um, videotaping these for you. Um, yep. because you were in high school and it was on very late at night. So I used to sit up and videotape them so that you could watch them the next night when you came home from school. Uh, I, I loved um, – uh, that was particularly the case with The Next Generation. One of the things that I've noticed um, uh, with um, with Deep Space Nine that, that's fascinated me in looking at my own journey with Star Trek has been that um, that uh, this, this period of time, uh, 1994 – um, I was actually overseas in the Solomon Islands, so I didn't get any access to to this season at all when it first came out. Um, so it was really fascinating to actually look back and actually say, "Ah, oh, I actually only watched this season as reruns." Um, um, when it was on um, but certainly I remember I used to come home from school um, and, and quickly put the videotape of uh, Next Generation yeah. from the night before on uh, and actually sit there with my after school snack uh, and enjoy watching um, uh, the latest uh, uh, mysteries that uh, Picard and Riker and Geordie LaForge um, and uh, Data and, and Worf were all trying to solve 
Yeah. Even at that hour of the night, they used to put on six ads. And I used yep. to count the ads so that I could cut them out. That's the sixth one. Okay, we'll start again, and it would start a- again at the next scene. It's a funny thing yep. to remember. And you'd pause them. You'd pause the ads yeah. so yeah. that the video wouldn't actually go forward on the tape. For those younger listeners who are listening, we're, we're talking about a time before uh, uh, internet streaming, before Netflix, before uh, Fox TV. Um, the only way we could get TV was through the four free to- free-to-air channels. Yeah. And, and I actually on. recorded them on videotape. Yep. So, uh, uh, and it, it was easy to record them and that sort of thing, yeah. And back then you were allowed to actually record such things for personal, personal use. Personal um, use, yeah. That's right. So there was a personal use clause for being able to record from free-to-air television. Um, now there are so many laws around what you can record and what you can't record and, and where you can get your, uh, your, your video from. Um, there are a couple of interesting things um, in terms of trivia that I discovered about this episode. Um, one of them was that at the beginning of this episode, we've got one of those wonderful little vignettes. Uh, this episode begins and ends with a with a with a table conversation between um, Doctor Bashir and, and Garrick, Garrick yeah. plain simple Garrick the tailor, and yeah. they're and they're very cute um, the way they actually interact with each other. It's like um, a, is it like it's like a dance that they yes. do. Um, backwards and forwards, sideways, you know, it's very, I, I always think of um, interpersonal relationships as a dance when you first meet somebody, you do yep. that kind of um, finding out more about them and what they, um, how they express themselves, it's, it's very much like a dance. Absolutely. I've just um, been reading Richard Raw's book, um, which actually talks about the Trinity, and it describes the Trinity as a holy dance. Right. So that sense of community that mm. that we, we often when we want to, and we've just come past Trinity Sunday um, last week, but this whole idea that, that we like to kind of lock um, uh, God into these three roles, uh, creator, saviour, and, and helper. Yeah, good um, luck. But the reality is the Trinity really shows us that it is a dance, that they yeah. keep shifting in position Between and them that, and, and you too. Yeah, Like yeah. as you get to know more about how God, you relate to God and God relates to you and sort of identify, I um, spent a lot of time uh, after I realised that in trying to identify the feminine in God. Yep. Um, because everything was male and I think that's because feminine... Um, people were, in those days were often identified as witches and people who had the supernatural. And, yeah, yep. And they wanted to eliminate that from... But then again, I'm not sure Christianity was ever meant to be a religion. Yep. It was a belief system. Jesus never made it a religion. It was us to try and make sense of it. Absolutely. And even with all of that misogyny um, and, and patriarchy that was around in the times of, of Jesus and in the Bible, we still end up with the Greek word for the Holy Spirit being, um, being Sophia, um, which is actually it means wisdom um, and is actually in the feminine. Um, so the right. Holy Spirit is actually indicated yeah, in I the often, feminine. I ended yep. up locating the feminine in God in the in the. Um, Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And there is that sense in which even the uh, the ancient Hebrew word, ruach, which actually ruach, means, yeah. means breath, is yeah. actually also in the or feminine. Or holy so, wind. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. Yep. So, so, and so that holy dance that the Trinity does, it, it really indicates that relationships are not about 
um, the boundaries between you and me and how we negotiate them being crossed, but actually about um, the the passage from one place to another. And it's it's really fascinating to think about what it means for parts of me to become parts of you and, and, and backwards and forwards when yeah. we're in a relationship with people, that, that the meeting of every new person we're in relationship with changes and, us and, like and changes when you, them. when you hear your mother come out your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I've done that a few times and I thought I'd never be my mother. But when, I've when, heard it come out of my mouth. <laughs> when, when you're talking to your son in the kitchen and, and he's saying, I wish I didn't have to um, unload the dishwasher and you turn to him and you say, if wishes were horses, then beggars, <laughs> beggars would, would ride. ride. Yeah. And then you go, oh, oh hang on, that, where did that come from? That's yep. come out of my uh, – out of, out of – and so we, we – that dance that you talk about, um, it forms us. We are actually formed by each other um, and by the relationships we have. And the overlap. It's, yep. not, it's not, as you say, it's not rigid Father, Son and Holy Spirit or yep. Creator, um, Sibling and Holy Spirit. And, and so this relationship between Garrick and, and Bashir is really fascinating because <clears throat> the very first time they sit down together, I'll never forget it back in the first season, Garrick comes to provide Bashir with backdoor information about something that's going on. So Without it's the first actually appearing to do it. Yeah. That's right. So it's the first kind of spy move we see from yeah. Garrick. Yeah. And 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 Bashir is completely unready for this. Like he's he's blown away by it and he's like this little little schoolboy running in to tell them You won't believe who just sat down next to me in the replimat. Major, upper pylon three will be shut down for maintenance for 48 hours. The spy! Garak, the Cardassian! We don't know for a fact Garak's a spy, Doctor. He is. You should have heard him. He he introduced himself, and, and, and he struck up conversation just like that. He was making contact with me, with me of all people. But what that awakens in Bashir is actually a love of spycraft and a love of the mystery. And yes. as, as we see the, the character of Bashir develop over the next seven years, we see that, that he actually becomes a spy. Yes, yes. Yes, with um, section something or other. Section 31. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. And, and he actually, to his astonishment, finds he's quite good at it. <laughs> Very good at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because he's had to hide parts of himself. And likewise, what we we have with um, with Garrick is is a very suspicious. Um, his history and upbringing have caused him in Cardassia to become suspicious, to not make strong relationships. Yeah, the spying um, is not what he does; it's who he is. Who he is. Yeah. And and yet Bashir awakens in Garrick's, um, I guess, a sense of. Of, of 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 needing to be vulnerable, um, needing to to mm. rely on other people, um, and he relearns the ability. At the in the in the yep. final season, we actually see that Garrick Garrick's actually becomes part of a team and and is able to work alongside others using their gifts. Um, and I think that's actually it's fascinating how these two characters. Um, being so different from each other actually form each other and bring out the best in each other. But that, that's what relationships do. Yep. And they allow you to access the parts of yourself that you find hard to access yep. because it's easier for them or, you know, it helps you get through all that, knowing that you'll still have friends at the end of it if you reveal yeah. something, you know. And certainly the the fantasy image that we've just been through with Odo, Kira, Dax, O'Brien, Quark, Cisco, and Garrix, 
those friendships that 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 um, Bashir has formed allow him to actually explore the parts of himself that actually might have been otherwise distant or hard to get a hold of. So psychologically, yeah. there's something really fascinating here about about being allowed to allow our creative imagination to restore us and to to allow us to 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 change perspectives even on ourselves and how we're formed to where he wants to help the um, people whose brains were enhanced that actually ended up mentally ill yes there's a couple of episodes where that's yeah, the case brilliant episodes yep yeah and uh he, he actually initiates wanting to try and help them help them yeah yep working through that because so he, he he's able to actually say well these people shouldn't just be discarded or stored or left alone but they actually need to be to be to be uh, invited to have purposeful lives. Mm. So in that first conversation on this episode, they talk about uh, Shoggoth's enigma, um, that, uh, a piece of uh, poetic writing in Cardassian history. Um, right. And um, one of the things that's fascinating about that is um, that uh, Shoggoth is actually a part of the Cthulhu um, writing. So um, we've got the writings of H.P. Lovecraft uh, in the Cthulhu Mythos tales, and Shoggoth's role is is a psychic energy that traps people inside a, a world of their own making. So um, there's a bit of a, 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 a hat tip to to H.P. Lovecraft in this episode, as they they use Shoggoth um, as as a as a writer in the beginning, and then launch into an episode where um, where Bashir is trapped inside this world. There, he, where he has to actually discern what's real and what's not to be able to escape. The um, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, I only read a couple of his books, but it was the first time that I came in contact with multi-dimensions, and yep. I'd never thought about that before until Star Trek Next Generation when they started talking about that. Absolutely. Well, look, we've covered a lot of really interesting stuff in this episode. Um, uh, uh, are there any other um, um, concepts or burning thoughts that you had as you were watching it that we haven't covered so far that you'd like to throw in before we come to the end of our episode today? Uh, I guess w with Deep Space Nine, it was very much, as I said, a case of a, a reversal of the normal type Star Trek attitude. Um, Probably the character that I related least to was um, Cisco, except there's one episode of that where he and Jake go off um, in a, a ship, a solar wind ship, to see if they could get to Cardassia. That's the only real episode that sticks in my mind about Cisco. Um, that would have to be my favourite episode, the way that uh, Jake didn't want to go and in the end their relationship changed through that. Yep. Um, that episode uh, called Explorers, which is actually coming yep. up in a couple of weeks' time, um, I'm actually having um, uh, uh, my, my son, your grandson, Elliot Nicholas, come on to talk to me about that episode um, because in that, in that episode um, there is a sense of coming out um, uh, Jake actually confesses to his that father. That he doesn't want to go to... Yeah, he start, doesn't want to go to Starfleet. Start, yep. Yeah. And, and one of the fascinating things for me in, in all of that is that, um, is, is that uh, young people portrayed in Star Trek 
um, like Wesley Crusher um, and um, Naomi Wildman, uh, you know, throughout the different ones, are all portrayed as saying, I, I want to become, like Starfleet is this kind of pinnacle yeah. of, of, of achievement, that becoming an officer in Starfleet is the greatest it's, thing you can do. Yeah, and it isn't always. No, and so for no. Jake, it really wasn't. It, it, would, it would have been constricting. And so he has to... He has to work out how he's going to be true to himself and honest with his with his family about Which who he very, really is. Which is very, very hard yeah. to be honest with. Your yep. family is probably the hardest people because they think they know you, but they all, they don't always know everything about That's right. you. So Elliot's going to take some time to talk to us about his own experience of what it meant to actually um, come to terms with and be honest with his family uh, and be honest with himself and set a course for himself. So I'm really looking forward to that episode. Episode yeah. coming up in a couple of weeks. That shows me the difference between the parent-child relationship and the relationship between parent and their adult children. Absolutely. It's quite different. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And there is a coming of age in, in when I say, okay, how do I set my own course? And I yeah. love that in that episode, Explorers, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks, um, they are trying to discover if it was possible for a ship without an engine to, to travel get to Cardassia or in yeah. Cardassia. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fabulous. Well, look, th there's been some really wonderful things to talk about today. Um, I just wanted to remind people that you can leave your comments on the Facebook page, Never Odd or Even, uh, and I invite you to like um, uh, that page, um, that you've, you can find um, these podcasts and the new podcast series that I've been working on, Voyager, A Theological Journey, uh, on, um, the, on the podcast. On, uh, through SoundCloud uh, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And please subscribe and leave comments for us there as well. We have recently set up a Patreon account, which means that you can support us. And if you'd like to provide us with a greater level of, uh, of, of tech uh, and, um, and support um, or, or uh, even assist in being able to um, uh, continue to keep this community alive, then um, I would invite you to uh, go to the Patreon site. There are some goodies. There's some perks there. Um, there's some merchandise coming out, um, and you can actually also uh, be involved in and come along to a, a live recording. Um, and you saw an example of one of those not long ago. Um, thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Mum, for taking the time to have this wonderful conversation with me and my viewers in Deep Faith Nine. That's okay. I hope I didn't sound too stupid. No, no. Actually, it sounded absolutely wonderful, and uh, and 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 I have had. I have to say, over the years, I've had many really, really wonderful and formative conversations about Star Trek as we've sat and watched episodes together. Uh, and so one of the things I really, really wanted to do and valued was to actually use that time uh, and, and try and illustrate in some way that time. That, that part of the reason why I'm even doing this podcast is because of the conversations that you and I have had over the years while we've been watching Star Trek, that you really taught me that Star Trek is far more than just an entertaining TV show, but actually oh. a, th a sociological commentary that really can give us great depth and insight. Yes, and, and uh, sometimes you have to look for those depths. They don't just happen. Yep, that's right. Star Trek is also responsible for so many of our, of, I guess, groundbreaking cultural moments. The first interracial kiss 
uh, took place on a Star Trek episode. Um, uh, captain Janeway um, being um, placed as a, as the captain of her ship. Um, yeah. in, in, in that was very controversial. The 1990s. Yeah, uh, even Ben Sisko in this one, an African American yeah, he's black. Yeah. Uh, leader, or governor of a space station. Uh, so, so there are uh, so many dynamics in terms of race and sexuality, diversity that actually are covered in the harmlessness of a of a of a simple episode of Star Trek. So thanks again, Mum, for joining me for this episode. Um, That's okay. I was a bit apprehensive to tell you the truth. I didn't know how we could talk for so long, but it was uh, actually quite easy. Easy. That's right. So that, that to anyone else I might ask. Um, please, um, please um, take take my mum's advice. It might be scary at first, but it's actually quite easy to have a a, a, a lengthy conversation about these things. Um, that's all we've got time for today. I'm Will Nicholas. This has been the Deep Faith Nine podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye.